0: Hey there, it's Michael from Amazing FBA. Welcome to Mindset Moments, little bite-sized chunks of thoughts and hopefully wisdom about business and life from my wanderings around London and other parts of Europe. Hey folks, Michael here from Amazing FBA. I'm just taking a little bit of time in between running around London and um, I'm just reading the Metro uh, which appears in a lot of metro areas in UK. We've got the London version here. And the uh, headline I was looking at was, Flights Chaos was a one-in-a-million computer glitch. Now, if you've been living under a rock, you may have missed the fact that there was a giant screw-up in uh, flights in the UK and Europe. It turns out that the UK may have left Europe in, in um, political terms, but they're sure as heck integrated tightly into the European uh, airline network and uh, particularly the air traffic controlling system. And uh, I had to laugh because I was reading a Terry Pratchett book recently, I think The Color of Magic, and um, obviously that's set in a fantasy world. Uh, Terry Pratchett was such a great writer. Uh, he actually worked for a nuclear power station as a press, uh, a person in the PR and, and press section. Can you imagine how specific that a set of skills is? Now he must have seen some odd incidents in his time. And I like the idea that it's one in a million computer glitches, but it happened. Uh, and Terry Pratchett has a saying in the, in the book, I think, The Color of Magic. Um, one in a million chances, or they happen all the time. Now, of course, his books are set in the fantasy world based on magic, and we don't live in a world like that. But the genius of Terry Pratchett is that an awful lot of what he puts across in his fantasy world and that's a vehicle turns out to be observations on real life and the more you get into um, his Discworld novel series by the way if you live in London the more you realize that the crazy stuff that he talks about was just literally historical record of how uh, London used to work in the medieval era so ankh pork is very unsubtly a version of medieval London. Anyway the point here is to reference another book uh Nicholas Nassim Taleb, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, much more highbrow intellectual than Terry Pratchett. And Nicholas Nassim Taleb was a an investor in the markets. He was an options trader. I don't even really know much about what that involves. It's very technical, but he got he's made himself rich by following his own uh investing uh system and has then been writing books ever since, which are rather complex and very sort of What's the word? Intellectually pugnacious. He's very into, pun, you know, fist fights for, of the most intellectual kind. But one of his books is called The Black Swan, and Black Swan theory um, again is a med, not medieval, but an eighteenth, seventeenth century, I think, London phrase. The Black Swan was a mythical beast, as far as they were concerned, just like the word unicorn. I've never seen a unicorn. As far as I know, it doesn't exist. It's a magical creature. You know, five-year-old girls have unicorns but real people don't we used to have a piano student he was about six and she was obsessed with unicorns well guess what black swan was just as mystical as a unicorn it was for kids or it, when it was a, a proverbial saying you know that's as rare as a black swan in other words it never happens because it doesn't exist right well wrong because of course when the the english went to or the british went to australia in the 17th know, the 18th century sometimes 1750s i think something along those lines um a decade or two earlier or later, they discovered black swans. Literally, the thing that they thought was mythical was actually existing, which must have blown their minds. Can you imagine? It would be like going somewhere and talking about unicorns for several hundred years in your culture as a mythical beast, and then literally seeing fields full of grazing unicorns. It must have blown their minds. But the point about that is that the black swan represents the thing that you not only didn't predict, but you couldn't have even predicted. You didn't even think that you could think about it, if you see what I mean. Now, What's very interesting is that Nicholas Nassim Taleb, who studied the markets and made himself rich, the markets as in the financial markets, stocks and shares and forex, that sort of thing, and other people realized that approximately 50% of all significant stock market movements or financial market movements since the Second World War have been caused by black swan events. In other words, they weren't anticipated. Think about nine eleven, which crashed the U.S. economy for a bit and kicked off something of a recession. Certainly in the airline industry. Think about COVID in twenty nineteen, uh, late twenty nineteen. I guess it was twenty twenty when we realized that it existed. Right now, the theory of a pandemic had actually been foreseen, as such as the theory of um, airline airline hijacking. It's not like nobody had ever imagined those before, but the way it panned out and the timing of it still took people completely by surprise. At least. I would say, 99% of even super smart people. And so those are the big events that you didn't see coming, that you couldn't see coming, but which actually have a huge impact. Now, what on earth should our response be to such things? There's a one in 15 million uh, computer glitch. In other words, they've had 15 million events and only one of them has taken down the system so far. But these things actually do happen. So how do you prepare for the unpredictable, as in not just the randomness of life, but the complete lack of predictability in the strict sense of predictable. We cannot predict black swan event by definition. How do we handle that? Well, Nicholas Talley, um has another uh, concept called um, not just uh, you know vulnerable businesses, not just robust, but anti-fragile. So the idea that a business gets stronger, the worse its situation is. Um, Now, I would start by saying if you've got a business or a life situation, you want to have a robust system to start with rather than a fragile one. Clearly, this flight's um, management system was uh, fragile because they went from, I believe, I'm just reading the paper here, they could handle 400 flights um, by using the software, but only 60 manually. So, they had a backup system, so it was robust in that sense, but it wasn't robust enough I guess that you know if you've got a good system that works really, really well, there's a reason why you use it. So they kind of had a robust system in the sense that things didn't stop. I mean, there were certainly quite a few delays. I remember getting a flight that week and uh, it was somewhat delayed actually, but it's hard to tell because they're often delayed anyway. But I guess they had a kind of quasi-robust system. So they had redundancy, which is one of the things systems engineers pick, think about. And obviously... Um, They kind of had a working system there and it kind of kept going, even though it was imperfect. So I would say it wasn't the the worst results. And you could think of that in a business, for example, if you sell mostly on Amazon, but you have a Shopify store or maybe you sell on Etsy. If Amazon's accounts shut down, maybe you lose, you know, four fifths of your revenue, but you still keep enough coming in to keep the lights on. Uh, That would be an example of redundancy, which is a subset of how to make a business more robust. To make things anti-fragile, though, that's actually a much abused word amongst one, much abused amongst the few people, I suppose, that know the concept. People tend to mean robust. And I don't think that's what it means. Anti-fragile, I guess you could call it counter-cyclical, is this thing that is actually gets better the worse the environment is. For me personally, um, I think that, you know, you have retail examples. There's a, look, I'm being joined by a little squirrel here. Sorry, very squirrel. Then if he's counter-cyclical. He's certainly perceiving risk in me, although he looks quite curious about this conversation. Maybe he's got something to add. If I were in the Terry Pratchett world, I'm sure he would talk. Uh, he looks like he thinks I'm going to feed him, but I'm not. Anyway, so the cute um, squirrel may have something to add to the conversation. Looks like he's gone. So where was I? Yes, <laughs> anti-fragile. If you are looking across uh, business types as a whole, what would be an anti-fragile business for me would be counter-cyclical. For example, something I have... Fantasies, I have weird fantasies because I'm a bit of a business nerd. Fantasies about um, buying a bankruptcy practitioner business or an insolvency practitioner. Uh, because if the economy gets worse, they will get busier and busier, of course, as bankruptcy comes through. Um, another opportunity that is sort of anti-fragile is if you buy distressed businesses or you buy um, distressed real estate or property, the higher the interest rate gets, the more you tend to have repossessions in the residential and indeed business uh, property or real estate markets. So weirdly enough, there are actually, the more you think about it, quite a few uh, anti-fragile opportunities in life. If you're in e-commerce, I would say a couple of specific things. Uh, First of all, certain types of products are really flying off the shelves in these straightened economic times that we mostly find ourselves in. In the UK, it's not an e-commerce example, but it's a retail example. Lidl, the the supermarket chain that focuses on value, is getting bigger and bigger. It's getting more and more stores added, more locations if you're American. And uh, so, you know, that's a great success story. Now, um, that's at the low end of the price scale. So for most of us, that's not advisable unless you have a huge operation and, and can scale things up in that way. But providing what's perceived as valuable or value good value um especially in a necessary category like food is always a winning strategy if you can make the economics work right only then Uh, but actually a simpler and more robust again uh, strategy is to make sure that you survive while selling in a category that has a future but is contracting slightly and where your competitors go out of business and you don't that's not exactly about anti fragile but it's it's close because um the thing that creates the opportunity for you to gain massive market share when the when the market takes back off and your competitors are dead is actually uh, essentially an anti fragile strategy so the only thing that creates the opportunity for you to gain massive market share like Amazon did in two thousand and one two thousand and nine eight um like you know name the company that took over the market share left by a dead competitor that is created by this very tough economic environment right so the tough economic environment creates the opportunity to take massive market share and thus grow exponentially within two three years as opposed to over a decade uh covid was like that for example so so e-commerce took a lot of market share of the retail game from physical brick and mortar stores most of whom were shut down um so again being the last man standing or last person standing um when your competitors die out is a kind of blend of anti-fragile, but also just robust. So let's put it in simple terms to wrap this up. In crazy times, and there's always a possibility of crazy times, even if they're not here yet, you need to first of all have a plan B, redundancy, just like they had with the the air traffic controllers. They managed to keep things going, albeit very slowly, uh, manually. So do you have a backup plan? Do you have a backup sales channel? Do you have a backup person who's a manager? If you fall ill, do you have somebody who can step into your place? Et cetera, et cetera, redundancy. Do you have a robust business that can survive tough times relative to your competition? If you can answer yes to those things, at least you've got a robust business. But my ideal for myself and for anybody who follows me would be to get an anti fragile business. Can you have a business? Hard to do, but really amazing. Can you have a business or a part of your business or an additional investment or um, business income stream that actually gets better the worse the economy gets? That's not an easy one to answer, but it is possible. And I'm giving you a few examples today. So, my challenge to you is in the kind of intellectual and yet very, in the end, um, financially real challenge is can you find something is proof against those million to one chances that happen every day? Because they kind of do. Uh, Black Swan events, remember, have driven 50% of all stock market movements since the Second World War. That's you know, a ton. That's half, of course. So, what are you going to do? in response to that reality. Uh, Look forward to your thoughts. If you're on some social media platform, which I will be posting this on, let me know your thoughts below. Thanks for thinking. Do you want to grow your business bigger and faster? A free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find missed golden opportunities. I generally charge $150 or more per hour, but this would be free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing a few thousand dollars a month in sales already. Just visit myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time. That's myamazonaudit.com. Look forward to speaking to you on your audit.